0: Hello, this is part two of episode 11 of this podcast. This episode is the case of Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper. I've covered the aspects of Peter Sutcliffe's background in part one. This part will concentrate on all of Peter Sutcliffe's known victims. His known murder victims are Wilma McCann, Emily Jackson, Irene Richardson... Tricia Atkinson, Jane Macdonald, Jean Jordan, Yvonne Pearson, Ellen Richter, Vera Millwood, Josephine Whitaker, Barbara Leach, Margaret Walls, and Jacqueline Hill. He was found guilty of murdering all thirteen of these women. Peter Sutcliffe is still in prison. And is serving a whole life tariff, which means that he will never be released. He is one of only a very select few in the UK who have actually been sentenced to life. Usually they are given a minimum of up to about 35 years. But because certain murderers are deemed to be just too dangerous and to have killed a lot of victims, Home Secretaries over the years have upgraded some of the tariffs to whole life sentences. Peter Sutcliffe's crimes began in 1975 officially although he did actually admit to attacking a woman in 1969 but she did not want to press any charges against him at the time. This attack was not included in any of the crimes that he had committed later on during his spell as a serial killer. In July of 1975 in the town of Keeley Peter Sutcliffe attacked a woman named Anna who was walking alone He he hit her with a hammer and slashed her stomach with a knife. Luckily for Anna, however, a neighbour heard the commotion and Peter Sutcliffe left without killing her. Anna was rushed to a local hospital and underwent extensive medical procedures which ended up saving her life. In August of 1975, Olive Smelt was attacked in Halifax. Peter Sutcliffe used the same MO of striking with a hammer and then He used a knife to slash her. Once again, he was interrupted and had to leave the victim alive. Olive was badly injured, but still alive. Olive would suffer from her injuries afterwards. The head injury meant that she could not always remember things. She also suffered later on from clinical depression. On the 27th of August of 1975, Peter Sutcliffe attacked his youngest victim of all. She was Tracy Brown and she was only 14 years old. She was attacked while she was walking down a country lane. She was on her way home. According to her testimony later, Peter Sutcliffe had followed her for a while down the lane and had then walked alongside her before he attacked her. She was hit on the head five times and left for dead. She managed to survive and came across someone who called for an ambulance. Peter Sutcliffe was not convicted of this attack, but he finally admitted to attacking Tracy in 1992. She was apparently convinced all along that she had been attacked by the Yorkshire Ripper. The first murder victim was a young mother called Wilma McCann. She was 28 years old at the time and a mother of four young children. This murder took place on the 30th of October of 1975. She was supposedly working as a part-time prostitute in the red-light district of Leeds to earn money to support her children. Peter Sutcliffe hit her twice with a hammer and then stabbed her 15 times in the neck, chest and abdomen. Wilma had been out drinking in the local pubs before she went looking for a client at about midnight. Peter Sutcliffe picked her up in his car, a green Capri, and took her to local playing fields. He then started to hit her once they got out of the car. Her body was found the next day in the playing fields. Peter Sutcliffe committed his next murder on January of 1976. His victim was a prostitute called Emily Jackson. She had been using the family van to exchange sexual favours for money. Once again, Peter Sutcliffe used the same MO as before. She was hit with a hammer and then stabbed in the neck, chest and abdomen. This time... A sharpened screwdriver was used. The killer also stamped on her thigh, which left an impression of his boot. His next victim was a woman called Marcella Claxton, who was attacked in Roundhay Park in Leeds. She was attacked on the 9th of May of 1976 after walking home from a party. She was off to a lift by Sutcliffe. She asked him to stop the car and she got out to relieve herself. Once out of the car, Peter Sutcliffe attacked her with a hammer. For some reason, he did not kill her and she recovered from her injuries. He was convicted of attempted murder when she later testified at his trial. The Yorkshire Ripper's next murder victim was Irene Richardson, who was 28 at the time. She was known to work as a prostitute. Again, she was from the Leeds area. She was killed by hammer blows to the head. The killer stabbed her after she was already dead as well. When her body was discovered, tyre tracks were found to have been left near the murder scene, which resulted in a very long list of cars to be looked at to try and find the killer. This murder took place on the 5th of February of 1977. Two months later, another woman was killed, Patricia Atkinson. She was aged 32 and a known prostitute from Bradford. She would be the only known victim to be killed indoors. She was found murdered in a flat in Bradford. A murder had taken place on the 23rd of April of 7, 1977. A boot print was found on the bedsheets, but it did not lead to any progress in catching the killer. The next murder caused more outrage at the time in the media and in the population as a whole. Peter Sutcliffe attacked and killed a 16-year-old girl called Jane MacDonald. The murder took place on the 26th of June of 1977. Jane was not a prostitute and a news report at the time referred to her as an innocent victim, which is shocking to most people now. (laughs) but it does show people's attitudes, especially then towards different victims. It did, however, show the local women that anyone was at risk and, to be more aware, it was not now only people who were getting into cars with strangers that were being murdered or attacked, but anyone walking alone, particularly at night in the local area. In July of 1977, Sutcliffe attacked Maureen Long, who was 42 years old, and lived in Bradford. He was interrupted, however, so she managed to survive, but she was badly injured. In October of 1977, this time in Manchester, Jean Jordan, aged 20, was killed by Peter Sutcliffe. Jean worked as a prostitute. Her body was not discovered for at least 10 days, but it was found that her body had been moved after death. A handbag was found nearby, and there was a £5 note that was considered at the time to be a valuable lead. The note was new and could be traced to banks in Shipley and Bingley, which used the notes to pay salaries of about 8,000 local employees. This was at the time a typical way of getting paid, usually at the end of the working week and in cash, and although the police would go on to interview about 5,000 men, including the killer himself, they did not connect the note to anyone. It transpired later that Peter Sutcliffe had realised that he had made a mistake by leaving the £5 note at the scene. He knew it could expose him, so he had returned to the scene to try and retrieve it. However, he could not find it. Jean Jordan's body had been discovered by a local man called Bruce Jones, who would later become famous by playing Les Battersby in the long-running soap opera Coronation Street. He was a young man at the time and had been apparently traumatised by the discovery. Peter Sutcliffe's last known victim of 1977 was a woman called Marilyn Moore. She was aged 25. She was a Leeds prostitute. The attack happened in December. She survived the attack and was able to provide the police with a description of her attacker. The police would go on to release an identikit of the suspect which would resemble the killer in many details. The dark hair and the facial hair were probably pretty accurate. It would transpire much later on that it was quite a true reflection on his appearance at the time. Peter Sutcliffe continued to kill during the following year. On the 21st of January of 1978, Yvonne Pearson, who was only 21 years old at the time, was murdered. Her body was not discovered until March of the same year. Yvonne Pearson lived in Bradford and was known to work as a prostitute in the local area. Her body would eventually be discovered, discarded under a sofa that had been left near to local waste ground. Helen Richter, who was even younger than the previous victim, she was only eighteen years old. She was murdered on thirty first of January of the same year. Her body would be found three days after she had disappeared. Helen and her twin sister Rita had worked the streets together. They worked the great northern street area of Huddlesfield. They would both focus on the car trade and because of the spate of prostitute killings and attacks, would always look out for each other. They came up with a system which only allowed 20 minutes for each client, so the other sister knew if something had gone wrong. They also noted down registration numbers of the clients that the other sister would go off with. They did this to try and keep as safe as they possibly could. However, on the night Helen was murdered, she arrived back early and although she was supposed to wait for her sister Rita to return, she did not. She accepted an offer from a bearded man, according to other witnesses in the area at the time, and went off with him. He was said to be driving a red car. The pair had gone to a local timber yard, but once Helen got out of the car, Sutcliffe attacked her and killed her. He tried to hide her body under a viaduct. Although Helen's sister realised that she was taking a long time, Rita apparently was worried about calling the police because she did not want to get into trouble. She did call them later on, however, and raised the alarm that her sister had gone off with a man but had not returned afterwards, which was out of character for her. The police did search for Helen, but it took three days to find her body. The next woman to fall victim to the so-called Yorkshire Ripper was Vera Millwood. She was murdered on the 16th of May of 1978. Vera Millwood was a mother of seven children and was 40 years old at the time of her murder. Vera had originally lived in spain but came to england after the second world war with her family unfortunately after leaving school she took up prostitution and had many children with different men throughout the years on the day that she went missing she had left her flat in home to buy some cigarettes she did not return afterwards her body was found the next morning she had been left on a rubbish tip she had been hit with a hammer and stabbed multiple times It was almost a year until the next victim was murdered. Peter Sutcliffe's mother had died during this time, the police found out, once they questioned him when he was arrested and charged with the crimes later. However, on the 4th of April of 1979, Josephine Whittaker was murdered. She was only 19 years old at the time. She was not a prostitute, she worked as a bank clerk in Halifax. The Yorkshire Ripper attacked her as she was walking home across the Saville Park playing fields in Halifax, Josephine lived with her parents and had been paying a visit to her grandparents who lived nearby. On her way home she took a shortcut which would end up with her running into Peter Sutcliffe who was out that night looking for a victim to attack. Josephine was just left in the middle of the playing fields. She had been attacked with a hammer, her skull had been smashed, her body was found the next morning. It was during this period of the police investigation that hoax letters and the voice recording had been sent into the police. This had caused a few distractions and the accent was a Wearside accent which had been pinned down to the Castletown area of Sunderland. The recording was played to the public to try and identify the man, but to no avail. The tape recording also appeared to be mocking the lead investigator at the time, Superintendent George Oldfield. (laughs) On the 2nd of September of 1979, Barbara Leach became a victim of Peter Sutcliffe. Barbara was 20 years old and attended university. She attended the Bradford University. She had been drinking in a local pub with some friends. The pub was located in the Little Horton area of Bradford. Peter Sutcliffe was out looking for another victim. He had attacked Barbara as she walked towards her home and she had only made it 200 yards past the pub that she had just left. She had been dragged into a back garden. She had been stabbed eight times with a rusty screwdriver and then hidden under some old carpets next to a dustbin. Barbara's body was discovered the next day. At the time of her death, Barbara Leach was living with a group of students close to the university in Bradford. She was about to start her third year of the Bachelor of Science degree. She had called her parents earlier on the day of the 1st of September to wish her father a happy birthday. So She also planned to spend time with them the following week when she had planned to visit them before university began again. Apparently Peter Sutcliffe had been in the pub that night and had noticed Barbara and had followed her when she left on her own. Barbara had left the pub with her friends but she had decided to go for a walk on her own afterwards. Peter Sutcliffe later confessed to following her in his car and then getting out and using his hammer to kill her. Her housemates had noticed that she had not returned home but just thought that she had gone to visit some other friends nearby. The alarm was raised the next day however when she still had not come back home. When the investigators looked at the evidence from Barbara's case they noted that although she had been hit on the head with a hammer she had been stabbed many times after death and her clothes were in disarray. No further information came out and Peter Sutcliffe was not suspected at the time. It has been reported over the years that because These last two women had not been prostitutes. The police took the crimes more seriously and tried to up their game. Peter Sutcliffe's 12th murder victim was a woman called Marguerite Walls. She was murdered on the 18th of August 1980. Marguerite had been working late at the office and at 10 o'clock she had started to walk home to her home nearby. Marguerite was 47 years old at the time of her death and worked as a civil servant. She did not make it home because somewhere on the short walk back to her home from her office she had encountered Peter Sutcliffe He had hit her with a hammer and used a knife to stab her. Her body was found two days later in the local area where she had been dumped in someone's garden. Her body had been covered in grass clippings that were in the grounds of a local magistrate's garden. Peter Sutcliffe attacked another two women over the next two months but for some reason he did not kill them. They would both recover from their attacks. His next murder victim would end up being his last He murdered Jacqueline Hill, a 20-year-old student, on the 17th of November of 1980. Jacqueline had just got off a bus in Otley Road to walk the short distance to her home, which was near the university. He used the same MO as he had with most of his victims to kill Jacqueline. He dumped her body behind a row of shops. Peter Sutcliffe would be arrested in less than two months after killing this final victim the reign of the so-called yorkshire ripper would finally be over Although there were many police officers working on the Yorkshire Ripper case and a few suspects had been identified but ultimately eliminated from the inquiry, Peter Sutcliffe's event- eventual arrest had only happened by chance. Despite the fact that he had been questioned by the police over the years on many occasions, he was never really considered to be a suspect by most of the officers working the case. Also, has as tr- transpired afterwards the investigation was flawed with many mistakes being made by the police. The letters and the tape recording that they had received also did not help matters and some of the officers leading the case certainly became blinkered in my opinion. It was revealed later, after the arrest and trial of Peter Sutcliffe, that some evidence had been overlooked as well. The police had apparently given up on the hunt for the £5 note that had been paid out in wages in the local area. A tip that had been given by a friend of Peter Sutcliffe's had not been followed up. Also, a police officer had raised concerns with a senior officer about Sutcliffe after he had interviewed him on one of the occasions that he was spoken to, but no further action was taken. Many lessons would need to be learned from this case and hopefully, if something like this happened again, the police would have a better chance of catching the perpetrator before he or she could carry out too many murders. Technology is much better now and CCTV is more widespread, as well as information from mobile phones and from money transactions, so the police should have a better chance of apprehending a killer a lot sooner now. This is part two of this episode, which is the case of Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper. It covers all of the murders that are known to have been committed by him and that he was convicted on. It also looks at some of the attempted murders and attacks that are believed to have been carried out by him. I really feel that it must have been a nightmare for a lot of the women and their families who were living in the local area that the Ripper operated in. The crimes were carried out over many years and the police never really looked like they had it. A suspect in mind at any time. The police were later criticised for their poor performance and procedures had to be improved for future cases. The police did have some obstacles, such as the hoax letters and the hoax recording that had been sent to them, supposedly from the killer, which later turned out to be false. Also, technology was not up to the task of supporting such a huge investigation fully but it was the same for everyone in other countries as well as the UK. Before computers the police had to use paper and cards to document information. Other clues were there for the police at the time but no suspect was identified until a random stop by an ordinary police officer took place which turned out to be extremely valuable and would end the killing spree of one of the most prolific serial killers in the UK's history. In part three of this episode I will look at the police investigation, the hoax letters and the tape and the eventual arrest and subsequent trial of Peter Sutcliffe. I'll also look at the aftermath of this case and the action that was taken to ensure the police learned from their mistakes. (laughs) credits for this part of the episode go to wikipedia murderpedia.org all that's interesting.com website thank you